Good morning, everybody. We all pray with me, <clears throat> Father. We just uh, we come to you on this beautiful, amazing day. It's just fabulous, and, it, and it's so uh, such a treasure to come together as friends and family and guests, all in this place, uh, to circle around your Word, to look to you, to honor you. God, I thank you for my friends who led us uh, in music this morning, uh, just to. Uh, see three parents who are all my age. Uh, not saying they're old, Lord, but um, <clears throat> just to uh, be with friends, uh, trying to uh, uh, serve you as best we possibly can and to use the gifts that you've given us, the opportunities that you've provided, um, and step into those. I, I pray, God, that uh, our whole church, this whole this whole family would be just like that. And I know that so many are uh, just serving you wherever we are. And, and I thank you for that. Thanks that we can come together right now. And, uh, and I pray that we would learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is a pretty big day. Uh, this is the day uh, in just a couple hours when my wife and I will officially become empty nesters. <clears throat> yes, I know. Yeah, it's a mixed blessing. Uh, it's also the first day I'm going to wear these from the beginning. Life's changing. Can't see this. Uh, the other day, I was like, "Wow, what? What did I write there?" <laughs> so I'm like, "I gotta have these, um, or have some surgery, or some other surgery. I don't know." Uh, yeah, we begin today. Yesterday, Claire was sitting. Was uh, sitting, she was at the uh, sink and she was washing a bunch of dishes that mostly my son had put in there, and uh, and she got real tear and she goes, I, "I'm so sad. I'm just gonna miss him so." And I don't. I was like. You're washing the dishes. I, I, there's something else, you know, like if he hugged you or she hugged you or something maybe, you know, but not this. And uh, anyway, that didn't quite make sense, but I get it. You know, we're different. Uh, but uh, the, uh, I mean, I did promise. I said, Claire, you know what? I can always act like the 14-year-old inside me. So just don't worry. It's still going to be like you're a parent. Nothing's going to change. You know, it's all the same. Uh, those of you who have been through this probably know that that's probably true. I, I don't know. Boys don't really grow up. So uh, we are, we're in the last, this is the last day we're going to talk about uh, David in this series that we're in called Grace Changes Everything. Uh, uh, for me, it's been awesome. I've learned a lot about this, uh, this man, but in particular, this idea that grace changes everything. And you've heard me say it, but I'll say it for the last time today. This is the story, uh, this is the way through the story of broken mankind that God writes the, uh, the beautiful uh, illustration of grace. He doesn't write it with perfect people. He doesn't use everything uh, uh, rosy. He, he uses the broken story of normal humankind to tell the story of his redemption of us. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, David is, is uh, it wants, you know, this magnificent guy and also this totally messed up guy. Uh, he, so we started the whole series. I read to us from the uh, genealogy of Jesus. And one of those genealogies includes David right in the middle of it. And David's really the heart of it. He's, he's the key player. He's kind of the, the fulcrum of the whole story of Jesus. In fact, more is written about David than anybody else in the whole scripture. And Eugene Peterson uh, wrote a, a great book about David. And here's what he said. He said, if we're going to get the most 
out of the Jesus story will want to soak our, first want to soak our imaginations in the David story. So everything that we learn about David helps us understand more about Jesus, which is kind of crazy to think of that such a broken guy could lead us to the Savior. But I think, I, I hope that it's been for you like me. I've, I've definitely seen that. Just a, a quick review of some of the highlights of David's life. So he, he's born into a fairly prosperous family of some kind, but he's, he's the youngest of several boys at least, and he's, he's in the fields He's doing the job that nobody else wants to do all alone as like a 10-year-old kid. You know, did, did you ever have the feeling of wanting to run away when you were little? Okay. okay, just a few of us. But when you wanted to do that, you know, it's that loneliness, nobody cares about me, I'm out here by myself. From the beginning, David gets treated like that. This is one of the first stories we see, or is the first story we see of the actual interaction of David with his dad. His dad's like, yeah, there's this other kid I have. He's out there, right? How does that feel? Not very good. That's not a great start. That's not a great parenting model. But here's David. He, from that, he comes in and, and he, we see that he's been a young man of faith. And then he, he uh, shows up and he, he's, he's aghast that the, the nation of Israel would be afraid, the warriors of Israel would be afraid of one person, even though a giant. And so he steps in and says, I can use you know, my little tool, to, my, my rocks to kill this guy. And you know, he's... He's got uh, this belief in God that's very strong from this early point. Uh, he's able to create deep friendships. We see that with Jonathan, and we see people that are loyal to him through the whole history, all the ups and downs of his life. Uh, he's the main character in one of the most horrible uh, and classic stories of lust and betrayal and murder in all of history, and, and that's David. Uh, he's chased into the wilderness by Saul, and he's chased into another country by his own son, who's usurping his throne. He's a musician. Uh, he wrote a lot of the Psalms that we have, one of which, uh, which Holden read to us today we're going to look at. Um, an artist and a warrior. Those two things, they aren't, I don't think, well, I don't know a lot of warriors, I mean, specifically, <laughs> uh, but I'm not sure how those two things go together. You know, artist and warrior, poet, singer, and and man of, of battle, but that's who David was. So after all of what he went through in life, what was he writing about at the end of his life? That's, that's what we're going to take a look at today in Psalm uh, 138. But there's a thread that gets revealed throughout uh, this, the story of David in fact, I call it more, more of a, a fabric of his life than a thread. It's this, David has a steadfast faith in a reliable God. If you, I, as I look back and I see this crazy story, it just seems that there is a steadfast, long-suffering faith but in a God who, no matter how thin that faith gets stretched, in a God who is always reliable. He always knows, he knows that God is reliable. What I'd like to do is kind of walk alongside David just for a minute. If you could just picture this, and maybe you can go back to this in your mind, but uh, this psalm is likely written towards the end of his, of his life. So he's been through all these things. And you know, if you've ever written, you know, you journal or anything, you want to get alone in a quiet place and think and so let's go away with David 
let's take our camp chairs and we'll go up to some place with a view and we'll set him out, one next to David, and we're just going to look over his shoulder as he's just a normal man without the trappings of everything, uh, the, the kingly stuff, and just look over his shoulder and sit there with him while he writes this psalm. Okay? If, if you could just visualize thinking about it just very personally with me, uh, engaging in, in, in hearing what he's thinking as he's, in, as he's writing and scratching out lines and, and starting over. and what, What's going on in his heart and mind? That's, that's sort of the setting that I want to uh, create for us as we walk through this. And here's, here's the application. There's at least one thing to think about. Uh, David is, is probably, um, uh, at the, uh, is, we're, not, we're not sure how old he is, but he's a mature person. And wherever we are in life, wherever you are, I wonder if you and I could just say, in the next phase of my faith and my growing maturity, what is it that I can learn from what David writes? So I'm looking over his shoulder and I'm wondering, here's this guy that's been through everything, the worst and the best. And he's always maintained this deep faith in God. What is it that I can learn from him that's going to help me in my next phase of growing in maturity with my God? Okay, two points. One, I want us to see the posture of David. What is David's posture? And he reveals it to us in his first few words. And then we're going to see how he writes about his provider, about how he writes about that God who is always faithful. Faithful. So posture and provider. So the first thing we see is that David takes on a posture of praise. He has a posture of praise. Now, what does that mean? There are three progressive phrases that he uses, and I'm going to read you the passage. Uh, in fact, Tyler, um, if, I don't have it for you, but if you just put one and two up again uh, from the passage. He says, I give thanks, I sing praise, and I bow down. I give thanks, I sing praise, and I bow down. So look for those in this. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. In, in, in front of anybody. No matter where, it doesn't matter what anybody says. I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and I give thanks to your name for your, here's that thing that he has through his whole life, steadfast love and your faithfulness. So David sets the tone by starting the whole, this whole prayer, this whole song in saying, I give thanks with my whole heart. He sets the, the framework for the whole, uh, this song that he's gonna write. I like it when I can go up to people and say, hey, you know what, Roz, I've got good news. If I say that to you, you're like, you're automatically kind of excited, right? Okay, I don't actually have any for you. But um, anyway, except for this. This is really good news. But, uh, you know, if you preface a conversation with, hey, I've got good news for you. So there's a real positive feeling this. Now, here's a little tip for you people that um, have bad news, especially if you're a kid and you do something that's going to get told to your parents anyway. Um, this is what you can do. You, come to your, you go into your mom or your dad and you say, you don't say, I've got good news. You say, mom, you're not going to like this. Now, when you say that to your mom, she immediately thinks of the worst possible thing that you could ever, anything that it could ever happen. These, this is what goes through her mind immediately. In fact, I think some of your moms already were thinking, what could it be? What could it be? So 
If you do that, then almost anything you say is below the level of what would have freaked her out. Okay? So you send this kind of generic freak-out lob, and then she, and she will respond to that. And then you come up under that with, well, actually, I just got a D on my paper. And she's like, oh, pff, don't even worry about it. It's all fine. Try it. So try it. Um, uh, he, he comes in, and he says, he says, this is the good news. This is, the, this is what I am doing, God. I am, I am uh, I'm giving thanks with my whole heart. And the difference here, I think with me mostly, and probably with some of you, is that I often start when I talk to God with, I'm going to, God, tell you about my needs. I'm going to start there. And God, God is always willing to hear our needs. We see that throughout the scripture. But the way David sets this up is something I definitely can learn from. When I look in what he's writing and he says, God, I give you thanks with my whole heart. He's not thinking, if, he's with his, if it's with his whole heart, he's not thinking of other things. He's not distracted. I give you thanks with my whole heart. Needs can come later. So he's setting this up. He's starting off, he's expressing a posture of praise. You can almost see him like pressing the pen in. God, with my whole heart, and he says, I sing praise. Now, when I think about literally applying the idea of singing praise to God, it's a little more complicated. Uh, you know, we do that in here, but we all do it at different levels and different ways. Some of us like to sing. Some don't like to sing. Sometimes, you know, the, the music doesn't quite work for us or all kinds of things happen. And, and, and this is sometimes that moment where we're going to actually possibly verbally sing out loud. In fact, I like the way Tyler says this sometimes. He says, there are a few times when people in a community come together and sing. I mean, when else do you come together and actually sing? Except maybe in your car, you know, uh, with your family. But in this case, uh, you know, I think about the band. I think about the tension that they have in singing praise. I don't know if y'all think about this at all, but we have people up here who are, uh, they're going to, uh, lead us in, in a way that directs us to God. So directs us away from them and towards God. So they have this one aspect of needing to um, do a good job to lead us to sing and open up our hearts to verbally speak to God. But then they also want to, they want to do that, since they want to do it well, there's a performance aspect, Right? Because you you've got to be really working to do it well. And then they want to praise God themselves. So they have all these things going. If you've ever been up here, you have all these things going on in your head and your heart. How do I do this? Praise verbally through song is a complicated thing for everybody. But I saw the coolest thing. I was, I was privileged to, uh, to uh, officiate a wedding last week, and it was uh, Jesse and Caleb. Many of you guys know those folks, and now they're connected. I think I, I can't see anything from here. So, okay. There you are. Um, in the wedding, after the wedding, in the, uh, when, during the, the toasts, the toasts were finished, and then Jessie got up, and she, she went to the stage area, and she sat down on this chair, and then they brought her out a guitar and a microphone, and she's looking right at Caleb, her, her new spouse, and she, she says, hey, Caleb, I, I wrote a song for you. And I've done a lot, I've been at a lot of weddings, and I have never seen this. 
perhaps you have, but she sang him a song in front of everybody, like to him, that she wrote. And it honored him. It, it, it put trust in him. It spoke of the, the relationship that they have in her, their future, and it was just a beautiful thing. And reflecting on that along with this, I wonder, you know, how do I get to that point where, like David says, I, in front of the gods, in other words, in front of anybody, I don't care. I will speak to you with words of song. Now, I don't know if that always means that we're going to sing. I don't know if I want to hear Steve Ryan sing a praise song. Um, no offense, my friend. But uh, I don't know. But God wants to hear the words that are like song for, from us to him. So if we can't sing, or that's not our thing, I don't think that's the point. I think David's writing these words in a song so that he can speak them back, he can sing them, other people can sing them to God, right? And if there's a way that we could get to that point where we are so focused on his ability to provide, who he is, his steadfastness, there is a place there, I think, where we can at least say those words back to him, those words that we write in song, or, or we bring the words from a, a Sunday and they're in our, in our heads and we're alone and we can sing those words even in our hearts back to God. This, this is the framework, this is the posture that David enters into with God in this, one of his last Psalms after this crazy life that he's had. Well, and then he says, I'm gonna bow down. I bow down before you. And that's also something that's, that's somewhat uh, challenging in our culture. We can be brought to our knees by grief. You know, we've, many of us have been to that place where we just, just kind of collapse from, from what's happening in life. And, and that's often before God. But this is, a, this is an action that he's, he's brought to his knees by the steadfast love of God. And I, I think that's just a, a reminder to me that this is the posture that I want. And, and I'm, I'm not saying I know how to get there. I, I, just, I think any of these things would be very wise to try. So, we see a posture of praise in David. But what he's talking about this whole time is, is his relationship to God based on the fact that God is a steadfast provider. So let's look at that idea for a minute. Uh, he, he uses this word steadfast love. And those of you who have been around church or the Bible for a long time know that this word, there's a Hebrew word for it, that goes all the way through the Old Testament and it gets repeated in Greek in the New Testament. It's, it just means permanent, unchanging, unshakable love. It's the bedrock that David stands on. So David's faith doesn't really mean anything unless he has faith in a real trustworthy God, right? So this is, he is responding in faith, responding steadfastly to a steadfast God. Um, that steadfast love idea is pretty easy for us to understand. We get it. If somebody's steadfastly loving, steadfastly faithful, we understand that. It's, it's fairly simple. But then he says something that's a little bit harder for us to grasp, especially in our Western mentality. He says, he says, you make your name and word above all things. 
It's in the first part of verse 2. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. Now, why does that make us praise God? Why does that make David praise God? In, In our Western, the way we think in a Western sense is that whenever someone exalts himself, that that's necessarily not great especially when a ruler does that. But when we put ourselves in the, in the setting of David, what we understand is that a strong and faithful and steadfast king was a place of great comfort. Do you see the difference in how we might just automatically view that? But here, it, he, what David finds, even as a king, is comfort in the fact that when God is... Can you put that up one more time, Tyler? When God is exalted, when God's word is above all things, when he is exalted is when we are most satisfied. Okay? David knows something that we, in our rebellion, somehow reject. When God is most exalted, when his word is most lifted up, is when we are most satisfied. Even, Piper would say, that's when we are the happiest. We are truly happy, like in a joyful positive sense, when God is most exalted. But because of the last 250 years of our history, we think that when someone exalts themselves or is put above others, that there's something not quite right about that. But in this case, and this is the only place that it's true, when God is above all things, then all things are right. That's hard for us. But in a good and exalted king are good things. Okay, a couple more little thoughts here on this. In verse 6, David says this, For the Lord, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. Now, we understand that. The Lord is above all things, but he regards the lowly. And here's the thing that I was trying to express last week that I think is so important if you were here Maybe you got a, a taste of this, but I just want to repeat it in this one point. This is, the, this is the but God principle, where something is broken, but God makes it right. We read from a, a little situation towards the end of David's life last week, where a person in his court says this, David, we are all going to die. We're all like water spilled on the ground, which can't be gathered up again. But God doesn't take away life, He devises a means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. And what I was trying to do last week was point at those last words that this woman says to him. God devises a means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. God is high above all things, but he has devised a way to restore the person with a broken relationship to him. The outcast is reunited. Though he is much higher, he regards the lowly. And so David, in this uh, little statement, which you, you might have skipped over, though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, is expressing this idea that grace changes everything. Because if God wasn't like this, we could never be in relationship with him. We couldn't be in this room today. 
But because he regards the lowly, in other words, he values the lowly so highly that he would send his son to replace the lowly. He devised a way for us to be in relationship with him. And that is in that passage. He is much higher and greater, but he regards the lowly. But he regards the lowly. And grace changes everything. One more thought on this. David uh, says, God, you provide in time of trouble. So part of the provision of God is that it comes to us in time of trouble. So here we have to set ourselves up as biblical uh, people who are accurately looking at the Bible, looking at the Bible in its context, believing that it is the true word of God. In, in this one line, what David is saying is that it doesn't matter if you're a person of faith or not, you're going to have trouble. Trouble is a part of humankind's existence, okay? So I'm going to go against a lot of things that you hear on the radio, TV, wherever else, because the scripture right here and throughout the scripture, it says, you will have trouble. But what's the other piece? Though I walk in the midst of trouble, in verse 7, you preserve my life. I mean, think about this for a second. David is okay with simple survival, right? He, he, there are other Psalms where he says, you lift me up, you cover me, you take me to a new place. In this case, in this quiet moment towards the end of his life, what David says is, I'm thankful that I just survived. But do you know why? I, th- I think he gives us a hint as to why he's okay with just survival, just that he made it through. It's right below that. One line later, he says, your right hand delivers me. And you know what, what that means is in that culture, the right hand of the ruler or sitting at the right hand or being embraced by the right hand was an idea of favor. And so what David is saying is, I'm okay just surviving within your favor. When I have the favor of God, relationship with God, within that, I'm okay. So here's a guy who's had every, he has had everything. Everything you can imagine in those days, both great and horrible. He says, it's okay that I just survived, God. You carried me through, you provided. But here's why it's okay. Because I am at your right hand and your right hand lifted me up and your right hand has protected me. And that's the place that we need to find ourselves. Utterly dependent on a provider God. So my question for you again is, in your next phase of growth, in my next phase of growth spiritually, will it be characterized by a posture of praise and understanding that God is a, a dependable provider? Is that... Is that the next phase of faith for you and me? I pray that it is. And I want to I uh, end with, with one last line from this, and, and I'll conclude with this thought. Uh, this is from verse 4. David says this. He says, All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. See, when David was around God, when David was tuned in with God, what he saw, what he understood, let let me say it a different way. He sort of saw the tip of the iceberg of what God was doing. 
He could see this idea of a savior. He could see this idea of God making things right. In particular, in this. I wonder if if any of you are thinking about the verse that that I'm going to read you from from Philippians. Uh, Because David sees every ruler and thus all people bowing before God in Psalm 138. And here's what uh, Paul says later in, in Philippians 2, 9. Speaking of Jesus and what he did on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. David's posture of praise and his understanding of that provision of God, the fact that he is the provider, the closeness he has with God, even though he is broken, allows him to see the beautiful things that God has in store. So let me encourage you, look at 138 this week. Uh, spend some time with God in that. And, and may, it, uh, may it look like the next phase of your spiritual life. God, I, I thank you for my friends. I pray that you will let us walk closely with you. God, you are faithful. You're a provider. And God, we in trouble, who, which all of us can think of trouble right this minute, in trouble, you take care of us. And Lord, we, we rest in your right hand. And we thank you for Jesus who has made all things right with you through faith. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.